So if you're visiting here, I am not the regular preacher or pastor here. Um, so the good news is you can come back next Sunday. Bad news is there's a person here that has been here, visited us twice, both times. I have given a message, so I apologize. Um, so this morning, we are in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Luke, 20, Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it, to be, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Holy Father, pray that you would add the blessing uh, to your word here this morning. Pray that your presence would be here. Lord, we pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Father, that he would allow me to decrease while you increase. And Father, may you glorify uh, your word here today. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So whenever, whenever I've come across this text, I've always found myself asking one question. So what's the difference? Right? Why does Zechariah, who was a temple priest, educated, old enough to know better, fall so short in his faith? And yet Mary, who was 12, uneducated, and from nowhere, gets it and displays this extraordinary obedience to God. Well, for one, I have to give props to Dick Lucas as I was listening to him in a little bit of a study on this text. He asked this question, how do we get from Zechariah to John? Or better yet, how do we get from Zechariah to Zechariah? Well, friends, to answer the question, what's the difference? These paragraphs this morning are a hinge of how we get from weary, jaded, kind of faithful to bold, Spirit-filled prophets. So how do we get there to here? What's the difference? Well, 
simple as the answer is Jesus. The answer is that this gracious announcement of the, of the arrival of the Son of God completely changes everything. So if you look on your bulletin, you will see there what we would call the big idea. And the big idea is this is one since I hope is our time here together that sums up the sermon. So the big idea is this. The announcement of Jesus changes everything. The announcement of Jesus changes everything. And first off, Luke sort of introduces us to this gracious greeting. So we want to sort of get the setting and this introduction to Mary. And since there is a nowhere place with nowhere people. See, Nazareth was considered a non-place. It's never been mentioned in the Old Testament or in any historical writings. It had a reputation of being corrupt, and it was overrun with Roman soldiers and Gentiles. So in Matthew 4, Galilee is referred to as the Galilee of Gentiles, just as it was in our Old Testament reading uh, here this morning. It was the Galilee of nations, which really kind of means the same thing, the Galilee of Gentiles, which is why Nathaniel gave the reply to Philip in John's Gospel, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was a non-place with a population of nowhere people. So make a note here that in Gabriel's coming to Nazareth, he skips completely over Judea and Jerusalem, but he also ignores the temple, the most holy place in Israel, and enters the lowly home of Mary. Now Mary herself was not much of an account either. She was too young. She was probably around 12 years old to make much of the world and have accomplished anything. She would have been uneducated, and the only scripture she would know would be that she could memorize. The only, the only scripture she would know is what she could memorize from what she learned at home. And she was to marry humbly. And she was to give birth to multiple poor children. She would never venture more than a couple miles from home. Again, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Now this was to be our Lord's station as well. And one of the extraordinary facts in this text is that the greatest news ever, procre ever proclaimed in Israel came to the humblest of its people. So we should always consider that to those whom the good news came were the poor and the needy. Remember, Luke's gospel is written to everyone, right? That's the significance of Luke's gospel. It's literally written to everyone. So everyone who is reading this and they're seeing that they have this opportunity to share in this joy and this good news and this announcement. Martin Luther remarked that he might have gone to that he might have gone to Jerusalem and picked out. Caiaphas's daughter, who was fair, she was rich, clad in gold, embroidered, remnant, and attended by a retinue of maids in waiting. But unless but God preferred a lowly maid from a mean town. What she was, was God's person for this moment, in this place, but with the right lineage. 
So now that we have the setting, let's look at the first section of interaction between Gabriel and the young child, Mary. In verse 20, in verses, uh, right away we get this, and, and in verse 28 we read, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Let us first clear up the interpretation of this greeting. And I'm going to use, I'm going to cheat here. I'm going to use uh, J.C. Ryle's explanation here because he does a far better job than I ever could. He says that the Romanist translation of this word, full of grace, does not convey the meaning so well as our own translation and is moreover liable to shameful perversion. In no way can the word bear the sense of full of grace to bestow on others. The truest sense is that of our marginal reading, one much graced. One who has been made the object of much grace but not one who has much grace to give. So from this point, Mary will never just be Mary again. She who was of low estate will be forever now highly esteemed. We hear this later from Elizabeth when she responds to Mary's visit. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now she... So how does she react to such a gracious greeting? Well, verse 29 again shows us, but she was greatly troubled at the same. How would you react to being greeted by an angel? I don't think anyone else can really kind of relate to that very much. Mary was troubled. Unlike Zechariah, communicating with God wasn't her regular thing. Right? Unlike Zechariah, she hasn't been praying for a child. She was troubled as to why the angel was greeting her in such a way. After all, she was only 12 years old. Or maybe most of the scripture she knew was when an angel appeared and God was ready to bring judgment on a people. You know, maybe she was contemplating an escape plan. Um, but nonetheless, she was troubled. Most likely, she was experiencing great humility, as most commentators agree. Why has she, maybe she's answering this question, trying to answer this question why has God brought this gracious greeting? To me, what we need to see is her inward response is humility and discernment. It's humility and discernment. She's, she's asking herself, who am I? Who am I? I am no one of stature. I am no one of any, any wealthy family. I am no one of any good standing. I am just a girl doing my job betrothed to a man who is going to take care of me. I will no longer be a burden to my family. That's who I am. Why this gracious greeting? 
Who am I? How do we react to God's Word? Is it with humility? Do we try to discern and meditate inwardly on what it might mean? Mary is simply reacting as all new hearers of the good news should. Who am I that I should find favor with God? So let me ask you this morning. When was the last time you asked that question? When was the last time you asked, you, when you approached the Word of God, who am I that I should find favor with God? Who am I? Am I of, do I consider myself of low estate, poor and needy and corrupt? Am I, a da- am I daily reminded that I am a sinner, that I am in need of His grace, that I am in need of His mercy, and I am in desperate need of a Savior? This should be our response to his gracious announcement. Remember, it's not us who has changed anything. It's Jesus who has changed everything. Our second point we want to see is this extraordinary announcement. Now that we've been introduced to the mother of Jesus, now Luke introduces us to to Jesus the Son of God, right? And right out of the gate, the angel says in verse 30, and the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Do not be afraid. The angel noticing Mary being troubled extends a sense of comfort. Do not be afraid. I do not come to bring wrath, I do not, but I come to bring peace. God's Word always reminds us of His grace and His presence in troubled times. Mary takes comfort in that because when we read on, she no longer seems troubled. As we go through these paragraphs, she no longer seems to be troubled. And he goes on to say, verse 3, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus. Now, if you're trying to comfort a troubled 12-year-old girl from a greeting, I don't think that's how you lead out of the box. Right? Know this. Behold, know this. You will conceive. Wait, what? It's like, it's like when you see, you know, I don't know if anybody's had a, the pleasure of, you know, someone setting a poisonous spider on your hand. Right? And they're like, oh, don't worry. He won't bite you. Oh, well, that's good. Just don't make any sudden movements. Wait, what? So it's your automatic reaction. So in that sense, it's like, don't be afraid, right? God is with you. But here's what's going to happen. You're going to conceive and you're going to bear a son and he's going to call. You're going to call his name Jesus. Now, in her head, the consequences to this is very, very severe, right? If she conceives, she runs the risk of being found out as as cheating on Joseph, right? She's she's not really married yet, but betrothal was still had the same consequences of being married. 
He needed still an article of divorce to kind of break the betrothal, right? So she's find out she's pregnant. She could she could run the risk of being stoned to death, right? There's the consequences are severe. So in this sense, she's like, okay, what are we doing? But she would continue to rest in God's grace. We should not disagree. We should not disregard the grace and blessedness of Mary being the one to bear the Son of God into the world, right? Don't fall into the trap. You know, I don't want to, you know, throw Catholics under the bus here, but they've really taken Mary into an unhealthy level, right? Jesus still bore the face of Mary, the mannerisms of Mary. He was nurtured by Mary. So in that sense, Mary has a big role to play in Jesus' life. At the end of the day, she will be the mother of Jesus. So we've seen who, what Mary will do. Now let's see what Jesus will do. Let's see who Jesus will be. Well, first, He will be the Savior. That's in His name. Right? Savior. Jesus is Savior. He will save. He will be the Savior to whom all creation has been waiting for. He is the Messiah, the Savior, the one that all have been waiting for. He also will be great. Now, in the Zechariah text, we hear that about John. John will be great. But John goes on to say, I'm not great. One who's come after me is the greatest, whom I can't even tie his sandals. And again, to plug a quote from J.C. Rowell, you can tell who I've been studying a little bit in this text. Jesus shall be great, says Gabriel. Of his greatness, we know something already. He has brought in a great salvation. He has shown himself a prophet greater than Moses. He is a great high priest, and he shall be greater still when he shall be owned as king. We talked a little bit about that this morning in Sunday school, right? That advent of waiting for Jesus to come again. He shall be greater still when he shall be owned as king. Now, not only does he come to save, but he also came to bring fulfillment to God's covenant. So if we turn back to our Old Testament reading of Isaiah 9, we're going we're gonna to wear Isaiah out this morning. Turn back to Isaiah 9. And in verse 6, Isaiah gives us this glimpse, right, of, of what's God's redemptive plan moving forward. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. The child of whom Isaiah prophesies 
is Jesus. He is the one of whom the prophet, the prophets spoke. The prophecy is now being fulfilled. So Luke continues to pull from Isaiah a little bit, and he goes on to say he will be called the Son of the Most High. He was so before he came into the world, equal to the Father in all things. He was from all eternity the Son of God, but he was to be known and acknowledged as such by the church. The Messiah was to be recognized and worshipped as nothing less than very God. He is the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Now Luke isn't insinuating that David is Jesus' father, but wanting us to recognize that he was, the line, he was of the line of David through Mary and Joseph. And that the Davidic covenant is being fulfilled through him. And that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now this work will yet to be done when Jesus returns. Again, we said in that Advent, waiting for Jesus to come again, to make all things new. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Right? There will be a time when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is a statement of covenant fulfillment now, but also the not yet. Right? Jesus has come into the world to save but again, we await for him to return, to come in judgment, to come to make all things new. All throughout Scripture, the people of God are reminded that there will be a day when Jesus will come and change everything. Thirdly, we need to notice an extraordinary Response. We need to notice this is extraordinary response. See, Mary responds in two ways. One is assurance, and one is obedience. Right? Assurance, verse 34. We read, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Well, the question here in this text is it, it's not what's going on question we asked last week, but how will this be, right? It's a question of, okay, I, 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 I catch what you're throwing. How's this going to happen, right? Give me the rules. Give me the, the means by which this is going to happen. Lay it, all, lay it all out for me. How is this going to work? Because how will this be? It's not how can this be or how should this be. It's how will this be? Tell me how this is going to happen. Basically, her answer is, here I am, Lord. How is this thing going to go down? It's the same response that we hear throughout the Old Testament of people who God has called to him to do his work. Here I am, Lord. What's your will? And the, and the angel responds again. 
And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Luke leaves no room here for any misunderstanding. Right? It's not Joseph's son. Right? It's not a little sneaky thing going on here where we try to find out that, well, maybe he was Joseph's son. And, well, maybe he was just, he figured it all out and he was a good person. No, Luke leaves no room here for misunderstanding. As the angel said it, it probably happened. Meaning, that at that point, the Holy Spirit did come upon her. And the power of the Most High overshadowed her like he overshadowed the tabernacle when he was present. So can you imagine the spectacle that this would have created and Mary in the middle of this. Friends, if you ever needed a text to show the work of the Trinity, this is it. They're all present here. They're all accounted for. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. All in that moment, Mary received Christ within her. Have you had that moment? Have you had that moment when you receive Christ within you? The Holy Spirit approached you and the Most High overshadowed you and Christ entered into your life. The divine conception is important because He will be called Holy the Son of God. The significance of the there's there's a significance of the virgin birth. Jesus had to be born without sin, had to be conceived outside of ordinary generations. He could not be born of man, for man's nature is sin from birth. He could not be born of Adam's generation, for if he was, he would not change anything. Nothing would change. It'd be all just status quo. He had to be born of a virgin through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the mighty work of God. The virgin birth isn't an impossibility. What we need to see here is that God makes the impossible possible. Along with divine explanation, Gabriel gives an account in true Lucan style In verse 36, he says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. The term barren there is a medical term, right? Luke is a doctor, there's a medical term. This is terminal barrenness. So the fact that Elizabeth becomes pregnant is quite amazing. He gives Mary an account of assurance and then a blessed assurance in God, for nothing is impossible with God. Be assured that God makes the impossible possible. But be assured this, that God makes the extraordinary possible. Next thing to look at is her obedience. It's her obedience, the response and the obedience. That is the difference. 
Verse 36, we read this, And Mary said, Behold, I am, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we ask the question, what's the difference? Well, the difference is the presence of Christ. The difference is the presence of the Godhead within you that can help you to say, to help you to come forth and to ask and to say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to you. That's the only way we can be obedient is through Christ within us. The most extraordinary thing in this text, obviously, is the announcement of conception of the conception of our Lord Jesus. From here on out, Jesus changes everything. I don't mean everything. Some folks here just came back from Kentucky. They can say with me, I don't mean everything. I mean everything, right? And that means everything. Jesus will turn everything on its head. But another extraordinary thing in this text that we really can't throw by the wayside is Mary's obedient response to the most extraordinary announcement in the history of the universe. A 12-year-old girl with an obedience greater than any one of us could ever imagine. Mary isn't a statue or a deity that we should pray to, but she is an example of how we are to respond to the precious gift of our Savior, Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, this is why we preach. This is why Kyle stands up here at the pulpit every Sunday and proclaims the gospel. He knows and I know that the announcement of Jesus is the only thing that changes everything. So I'll leave you with these two things here this morning. How will you respond to the gift of Christ within you? How will you respond to the gift of Christ within you? And is there a difference from here to there for you? Is there a difference between here, from here to there for you? And is Jesus that difference? Let me pray. Heavenly Holy Father, too many times are we like Zechariah. Too many times are we stricken with unbelief, faithlessness, weariness. So Father, help us to respond like Mary, to respond faithfully, faithfully, to respond with humility, to respond with obedience, Father, and rejoice that Christ is within us. But more so, help us to become more like Jesus each and every day. Let rejoice that Jesus has, has changed 
everything to the point to the point of death. And Father, we come this morning to the table and we rejoice in that here this morning, knowing that He has changed everything. He has changed everything. So Father, I pray for this. I pray all of it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well,